Hello, you're listening to KUBU-FM, Low Power and the Voice of Sacramento. You can find KUBU locally at 96.5 on your FM dial or cable access channel 17 and 18. You can also listen in on the internet at accesssacramento.org. This program is Making Tracks, and I'm your host, Dale Steele. We're on weekly at this day and time. You can also find more information about what is covered on the show at daletracks.blogspot.com and you can contact me there if you have questions or suggestions about the show. Making Tracks is back and September is here. On today's show, I've talked before about how unique the American River Parkway is in our region and how Sutter's Landing Park is a gateway for Sacramento to the parkway and all the nature, wildlife, and recreation to be found there. Well, the city has a draft environmental document that would extend the Two Rivers Bike Trail from Sutter's Landing Park to CSU Sac State, and it's out for review now. This is a great idea, but the city's proposal for the bike trail is badly flawed. As proposed, this paved trail would be located off the levee disturbing wildlife, impacting habitat, including increasing habitat fragmentation, introducing invasive plants, and more in a narrow, fragile section of the parkway. Look at the recently constructed segment of the Two Rivers Bike Trail, where similar impacts occurred as a result of construction off the levee. A better solution would be to avoid these problems, and it's easily available, too. Look at the upstream and downstream sections of the Two River Bike Trail. These trail segments are mainly on top of the levee, avoiding impacting the parkway. Reluctance by the American River Flood Control District and some neighbors has the city promoting an off-levee proposal instead now. Like many people, I'd rather wait and work this out than go forward with a project that harms the parkway. Meanwhile, work parties are underway at Sutter's Landing Park to remove the recently introduced invasive plants and restore native habitat that was impacted as part of the last Two Rivers bike trail. This will be an ongoing struggle now. You can find out more about it at suntershlandingpark.org and friendsoftheriverbanks.org. The huge number of fires in the Amazon has caused great concern and is truly a global issue, but what can be done about it here? I've got a simple but important way you can help restore damage for us. Ecosia is a nonprofit organization that provides a sustainable internet search tool generating funds for forest restoration. I'll have more on that today. And what about insects? Did you know that there are millions of insect species and they're some of the most successful species on the planet? Pollinators, food sources, predators, recyclers, and much more. Insects do it all. There's been a lot of discussion lately about an insect apocalypse, but that's not exactly an easy subject to study. Well, I've got a suggestion today on how you could do just that. Well, kind of anyway, as you zoom around on your busy day. And now, head outside when you can. It's time for Making Tracks. Hi, I'm Christian, the founder of Ecosia. During the last week, installs of the Ecosia app have increased by more than a thousand percent. Following the devastating fires in the Amazon, people around the world are looking for ways they can help. And with Ecosia, they can. Last month, we pledged to plant one million trees in Brazil in response to Bolsonaro's damaging policies. Thanks to all our new users, Ecosia now has enough resources to plant an additional two million trees in Brazil. So over the next year, Ecosia will plant an additional 3 million trees with our reforestation partners in Brazil. These trees will add to the 2.2 million trees that we already planted in previous years. 
The trees will be planted in the Atlantic forest, which stretches along Brazil's coast. This forest, or the 8% that remains of it, is above all a warning of what will become of the Amazon forest if a different path is not taken. Severino Ribeiro, the director of our partner organization in Brazil, told us that the trees Ecosia will plant are more than just trees. There is a sign that in times of crisis we all hold together, Brazil and the international community. And that's what these three million trees stand for. Thank you for making it all possible. underground. I've got an update on the proposed addition to the Two Rivers bike trail between Sutter's Landing Park and Sac State that would be located along the south side of the Lower American River in the Parkway. Well, after much public, neighborhood, and environmental organization pushback, the city of Sacramento is reconsidering placement of this new 2.4-mile segment of the Two Rivers Bike Trail. The city requested an exemption from the American River Flood Control District to build at least 
four-tenths of a mile of the new trail on top of the levee. The Flood Control Board approved this exemption request last Friday. This is a move in the right direction, but it's not enough, as continuing to locate the rest of this new trail section along the base of the levee will lead to unnecessary loss of habitat and wildlife impacts, as was seen nearby at Sutter's Landing Park when the last segment of the Two Rivers Bike Trail was developed at the bottom of the levee. I've discussed this problem before, and I'll repeat some of that segment today. But the best location for the rest of this trail is on top of the levee, where several other sections of the same trail are already built and located. This would avoid unnecessary habitat and wildlife impacts, would better separate foot traffic from bike riders and other modes of allowed transportation on the bike trail. And there has been a not-in-my-backyard or NIMBY reaction by some who live in the immediate area of the bike trail, as well as much support by many who use the parkway for recreation and nature activities. Well, the city still has to revise the rest of the overall project so as to avoid significant and unnecessary impacts to sensitive habitat and species and adequately address the concerns expressed by many, including organizations, the requirements of the American River Parkway Plan, and the public in general. Stay tuned for more. The South Sacramento Habitat Conservation Plan provides um, for federal and state Endangered Species Act permitting for all the development that's going to occur in this part of the county. This plan covers over 317,000 acres in South Sacramento County. And so what makes this plan unique is that we've actually married Clean Water Act 404 responsibilities with the Endangered Species Act responsibilities. This real groundbreaking permitting strategy with the Corps of Engineers, that's never been done anywhere in the country. This is the first. I really think the Habitat Conservation Plan and the county's ordinance are about good government at the end of the day. This is a multi-tiered, multi-agency uh, approach from federal to state to locals. Currently, home builders seek an array of permits from federal, state, and local agencies. And the South Sacramento Habitat Conservation Plan allows a one-stop shop where we can come in, get the permits we need that apply to federal agencies and that will allow greater environmental protections while allowing us to also pursue the home building that is necessary to meet the demands of the housing crisis. Right out of the gate, it's a regional conservation plan rather than a project-by-project project one. So we're able to look at the entire landscape and the specific species that we were trying to conserve and then focus from that perspective as opposed to the original perspective, which is you got a project, you have impacts, let's just replace that habitat with something equivalent someplace. The plan covers 28 species at risk. 11 of those are state or federally listed under our respective Endangered Species Acts. What's unique about the species that are listed is most of them are wetland dependent um, and they rely on this rolling open grassland and they're very compatible with agriculture. Be that it would be compatible that those in the agricultural um, you know, industry and, and certainly uh, the family farmers and, and ranchers will have found that this to be you know, something that you know, works from an easement standpoint and from a standpoint of compatibility of adjacent uh, you know, preservation and land uses and conservation. It's not like no one's preserving lands right now and doing all that. It's happening now. But you don't have this broader community impact of, of the environment and agriculture. And this is going to be, I think, an important thing as we can move forward. One of the, the biggest difficulties in trying to get one of these plans done is that it's an absolute marathon. It's not a sprint. 
So it took 24 years to get the Sasak ACP from idea to completion. This plan was developed by a wide variety of agencies and organizations and individuals. And in a sense, they spoke different languages. Um, and it all came together in this plan. So in the end, I think we struck a balance. We struck a balance between the needs of the development community for, for efficiency and cost savings and needs of the environmental community for good habitat protection. And it's all done with the kind of overview of respecting the property rights in a public setting. What happens if the HCP isn't there? And we have that by way of example on now, because now things are looked at in a micro way when someone wants to have land that's put in for, for habitat, they don't look and say what's best for the region. Over the next 50 years, we know where conservation will happen. It's going to happen in a comprehensive, landscape-scale manner. So we're going to have these beautiful, big open spaces that will be protected. And that's guaranteed. That's on the one side. On the other side is urban development located in the right places that are outside of where the most valuable habitat is in a way that will, I think, um, be consistent with the, the cities, the local cities and the counties' plans for urban development. And taken together, I think, it will really enhance the quality of life for future generations. When we're done, we're going to have a preserved network that works. They're big enough and interconnected enough that those resources will be secure. That they'll last in perpetuity. I think that's really important. That'll hopefully be a legacy for the county. You're listening to KUBU-FM, Low Power and the Voice of Sacramento. This program is Making Tracks, and I'm your host, Dale Steele. We're on weekly at this day and time. I think I'll go for a ride Take the bike out of the shed Make a fresh start Get out of my head When the head spins There is no joy Put me up on the saddle I'm just a little boy A little boy on a mission Like the Tour de France Like Fred and Ginger When they were doing their dance To the sound of the river out on the old bog road Through the gorse and the heather Sure I'm as free as a bird It helps me remember How good it used to be When I was a king The bike, the road and me I think I'll go for a ride Every ride is little victories Challenges and trials you hope the skies won't open when home is many miles You think you're cruising, your world is floating along But a fall or a puncture, anything can go wrong And then you know you're vulnerable at the mercy of the wind With every hill you climb, you begin, you begin You begin to be a spokesman with the freedom of the road You see the Wicklow Mountains, you know you have to go I think I'll go for a ride Summer evenings on the road A cool breeze in my head Poetry in motion 
thing when you're driving down a country road singing along to John Denver because you're kind of obvious like that when all of a sudden a big bug explodes across your windshield that's a big one let's check it out oh god it happens you go for a drive you get bug splats on your car what do we got there it's usually an annoyance it's so gross (laughs) but here we're collecting splats intentionally Partly because we're doing an absurd and gross experiment in ecology, and partly because windshields might be a window into something mysterious and disturbing in the insect world. This bug splat is like, it goes all the way up here. It could be a grasshopper. Ooh. We actually got into insect splats because of an app. It's called That Gunk on Your Car, and it's the brainchild of this guy. Mark Hostetler. A professor in the Department of Wildlife Ecology and Conservation at the University of Florida. Mark studies how urban areas affect biodiversity. He's also looking for ways to get non-scientists thinking about bugs. And a few years back, at a gas station in Florida, he found a new way to do that. This guy pulled up next to me covered in insect splats, a lot of love bugs, you know, and he just kind of exasperated looked at me and goes, what, 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 what is this anyway? And he asked the right person. Somehow, this compelled Mark to catalog all the splats he could find and match the splat to the bug that produced it. He collected his findings and wrote a book with very detailed instructions for identifying splats. This is a, a nice creamy one with some blood in it. Weird as it is, the project took off. Mark won the Ig Nobel Prize, which is sort of a joke Nobel for the strange and gross, or more formally, for research that cannot or should not be reproduced. Maybe a dubious honor, but it got him onto The Tonight Show. How many times you look at the windshield and say, I would love to know what that is smashed against my windshield. And say, so, is there anybody up to this point there was no one that could tell you? This man can tell you. Professor Mark Hostetler is here. He And earlier this year, Mark's son, Jam, adapted the book into an app. I'm a computer science student at the University of Florida. Truly, the family went all in on splats. I think I'm the only splatologist in the world right now. And we decided to try some amateur splatology ourselves. Step one was to meet up in rural Texas. Lots of bugs in rural Texas. Step two, turn our rental car into a bug collection mobile. The catch was that not all bugs just smush on the front of the car. Some ricochet up and over the roof. So Mark suggested we build a little contraption he calls a carcass catcher. Take a heavy metal wire and loop it in through the car door here and here. And then there's a bottom wire and then you put an aluminum screen there and that screen kind of wraps around the top and the bottom and forms like a little trough with a net. And we can just run some twine down to the windshield wipers. And we drive it around for a little while and we see if it stays on. And finally, step three, drive. This whole setup, not the most rigorous science. 
all of the locals have a lot of opinions about where we can find the most bugs. But it did give us a random sampling of all the flying insects in the area. We took backcountry roads between Austin and Houston, and along the way, we smushed bugs. Less watery. We checked the carcass catcher. It's like a beetle or something. And we consulted the app. Cream, uh, elongated, mid-sized. Love bugs. Love bugs. The weirdest data point might be the shape of the splats. Mark says that basically comes down to physics. So if, if you're a hard, had a hard shell, like to think of a, a beetle, it would hit and roll right off. But the softer abdomens, like lepidopterans, you know, butterflies and moths, they would hit, stick, and the wings and the and the acceleration of the air going up the windshield would actually spread them up the, the windshield. It all kind of uh, gives you uh, a different splat. The carcass catcher got us some good samples too. Some kind of fly, a honeybee, and love bugs. Lots and lots of love bugs. It was love bug season in the south. These ones are. Oh god, there's one flying by. Yeah, these ones are connected. But all in, we didn't get nearly as many splats as we thought. It was weird, and we started to wonder if it was because of this other thing we'd read about—a mystery in insect circles that's actually called the windshield phenomenon. What you're referring to is that this idea that um, people thought, well, I used to get a lot more insect splats on my windshield uh, about 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. I'm not getting as much nowadays. It's easy to ignore the millions and millions of insects all around you. Often you only notice the annoying ones, the bugs that sting you, eat your food, or splat on your car. But anecdotally, there's a feeling that bug splats just aren't as much of a thing these days. Mark's noticed this himself. Thinking about traveling across country 20 years ago, I just noticed using those um, bug removers at the gas station a lot more than I do nowadays. No one's quite sure, but there's just enough smattering of evidence out there that makes people think, you know, we should be really looking at this. The phenomenon gets creepier when you consider all the studies that point to real trouble for insects. Around the world, insects face threats like habitat loss, climate change, pesticides, and invasive species. A couple recent studies put numbers to the problem. One paper looking at nature preserves in Germany found a 75% decline in all flying insects since the 90s. And earlier this year, a big meta-study of insect research warned that 40% of all insect species could go extinct within a few decades. Some news outlets called it an insect apocalypse, and we wondered if we might have seen evidence of that. Back in the office, we cataloged our samples. And we asked Mark about the existential threat to insects. He's concerned, but he also thinks it's really hard to paint a broad picture about the health of all insects everywhere. It's been hard enough to figure out why honeybees alone have been struggling. It took years and years and years and years of research to really say, oh, it's probably pesticides and it's probably some habitat going on. And, it's, you know, that was focused concentration. We're talking about hundreds, thousands, millions of different species of insects across the world. For that reason, there's been pushback to the insect apocalypse narrative. Critics argue that we don't know nearly enough to say one thing or another about all insects. There are roughly one million identified insect species in the world, but scientists don't have a clue how many species are really out there. 
It could be a couple million, it could be 30 million. And really, the windshield phenomenon just isn't studied enough either. Our bug splats and collections make for interesting anecdotes, but without a measured baseline, it's not evidence of anything. It's not science. But Mark says it could be. If someone really got serious about driving around with a carcass catcher, they could put the windshield phenomenon to the test. You could, on a general level, say, hey, you know, if you get many, this many splats and do the same route year after year after year, you could get at least a, a monitoring uh, protocol going that could give you some good scientific results. Mark says that would come down to funding, and he's not holding his breath. For now, he's content to hold court as the world's foremost splatologist. You want to talk about unusual splats? Sure. How, how weird does it get? So um, you get a, a, a number of different splats, but you can, um, some of the characteristics, you can tell in most cases the, the sex of the insect by the splat alone. Because uh, most Don't forget to check out my other radio program on KUBU. The Climate Report focuses on local climate actions and more, sponsored by 350 Sacramento every Wednesday at noon. And be sure to tune in Tuesdays at 1 p.m. For Radio EcoShock, the latest on science, issues, and authors dealing with climate change and the environment on a global scale. Hosted and produced by Alex Smith. Don't miss it. You're listening to KUBU-FM, Low Power and Voice of Sacramento. You can find KUBU locally at 96.5 on your FM dial or cable access channel 17 and 18. You can also listen in on the internet at accesssacramento.org. This program is Making Tracks. Again, thank you for listening. Well, I-